I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. The governor's mansion in Austin, Texas, is lovely but unimposing a Greek revival island of quiet in the busy capital city. It was there on the back porch in the waning months of the 20th century that George W. Bush and his foreign policy advisor Condoleezza Rice surveyed the global challenges that would confront the next president, which Governor Bush very much hoped to be. As Bush recalled, one day our conversation turned to Africa. Condi had strong feelings on the subject. She felt Africa had great potential, but had too often been neglected. We agreed that Africa would be a serious part of my foreign policy. Almost four years later, in 2003, in his State of the Union address amid war in Afghanistan and a coming storm in Iraq, President Bush announced a bold initiative. Today on the continent of Africa, nearly 30 million people have the AIDS virus including 3 million children under the age 15. Because the AIDS diagnosis is considered a death sentence, many do not seek treatment. Almost all who do are turned away. A doctor in rural South Africa describes his frustration. He says we have no medicines. Many hospitals tell people, you've got AIDS, we can't help you. Go home and die. In an age of miraculous medicines, no person should have to hear those words. It was a remarkable proclamation, an instance of American power at its best. In the tradition of Herbert Hoover's efforts against hunger and of the Marshall Plan and the Berlin Airlift, The president's proposal, known as PEPFAR, was a humanitarian investment in the poorest of nations by the richest of nations. The president of Botswana said, We are really in a national crisis. We are threatened with extinction. People are dying in chillingly high numbers. We are losing the best of young people. It is a crisis of the first magnitude. And so the United States, however imperfect, however flawed, acted, and lives were saved. I'm John Meacham, and this is Hope Through History, Episode 3, To End a Plague. He told them if you spend a few billion dollars, you could have an outsized impact 
on people's lives. You can give them back years that they otherwise wouldn't have. There were almost 5 million people who required drug treatment and only 50,000 were receiving it. The federal government does work. Over 20 million lives have been saved and the list goes on and on. It's mysterious, it's deadly, and it's baffling medical science. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Once thought to affect only promiscuous homosexual males, AIDS is now spreading in epidemic proportions to other segments of the population. The HIV-AIDS pandemic was two decades old when George W. Bush became president. Reaction to the emerging crisis had been tragically slow during the Reagan years, and by 2000, the toll in Africa amounted to, in the words of Bush advisor and speechwriter Michael Gerson, a cresting wave of death. In an oral history, the George W. Bush Presidential Center put the problem succinctly. In the early 2000s, an estimated 36 million people were living with HIV-AIDS, and nearly 22 million lives had been claimed. Without proper access to treatment and resources, AIDS was a death sentence. And while drugs were available in developed countries, few in Africa had any hope of receiving treatment. So when he took office, there was this cresting global health crisis, and it was spreading across the African continent. At that point, there were 30 million people in Africa who had the AIDS virus. There were some countries in which more than a third of the adult population was infected with AIDS. And there were almost 5 million people who required drug treatment, and only 50,000 were receiving it. This is the writer and public policy expert Peter Weiner, who served as deputy director of speechwriting for President George W. Bush. And this was a challenge both to the African continent and to America and the international order, but it was also a huge humanitarian crisis that was unfolding. He saw America as a great and a good and a generous country that should respond in heroic ways in the face of great challenges, including relieving poverty and despair, as long as it was doable and as long as it was within our reach. If you go back to the 2003 State of the Union address, which is where this initiative was unfolded, the president gave out some pretty specific goals. AIDS can be prevented. Antiretroviral drugs can extend life for many years. And the cost of those drugs has dropped from $12,000 a year to under $300 a year, which places a tremendous possibility within our grasp. There are whole countries in Africa where more than one-third of the adult population carries the infection. More than four million require immediate drug treatment. Yet across that continent, only 50,000 AIDS victims, only 50,000 are receiving the medicine they need. On taking office, Bush dispatched the director of the National Allergic and Infectious Diseases Institute to Africa. The president's father, George H.W. Bush, had singled the doctor out in a presidential debate in 1988 when he was asked about people who inspired him. My question is not who your heroes were. My question instead is, who are the heroes who are there in American life today? Who are the ones that you would point out 
to young Americans as figures who should inspire this country. I think of Dr. Fauci, probably never heard of him. He's a very fine research, top doctor at National Institute of Health, working hard doing something about research on this disease of AIDS. The doctor's name, Anthony Fauci. When Fauci proposed a fairly modest plan, Bush 43 insisted on more. As Fauci recalled, President Bush grabbed me and said, I want you to go back and make it something much bigger. I want a game changer for Africa. I want you to go and get multiple models and come back and work with the staff to see what we can do to really turn things around in Africa. And I want it to be feasible, I want it to be implementable, and I want it to be accountable. I don't want to just give money to foreign countries and say, go do it. The biggest choice they had to make as a policy thing is what to do with the money that Bush is willing to invest. This is Peter Baker, the chief White House correspondent for The New York Times and the author of a book on the Bush presidency, Days of Fire. The first thing they did was they called a guy named Tony Fauci to come visit the White House. He was then, as he is now, the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And Fauci has spent his whole career trying to fight HIV AIDS. And Bush's aides sat down with him and said, if you had billions of dollars, if money was not an object, what would you use it on? And they expected him to say, we need to really accelerate a quest for a vaccine. And instead, he surprised them by saying, look, we haven't gotten that far on a vaccine. We may not get that much further, but more money is not the issue. What you can do at this time is provide treatment because these drugs that were mitigating the disease had really come to the fore. The cocktail that we now know has, has really changed the course of that epidemic it was really in the infant stage. Then. And, he's, and he told them, if you spend a few billion dollars, you can have an outsized impact on people's lives. You can save their lives. You can give them back years that they otherwise wouldn't have. And that really appealed to Bush. 14 million children had been orphaned in Africa as 2002 came to a close. Amid the war on terror that had begun in the wake of the attacks of September 11th, Bush kept pushing. As he recalled, I was confident I could explain how saving lives in Africa served our strategic and moral interests. Healthier societies would be less likely to breed terror or genocide. They would be more prosperous and better able to afford our goods and services. People uncertain of America's motives would see our generosity and compassion. And I believed the American people would be more supportive if we could show that their tax dollars were saving lives. I think that he saw his presidency as a mission of sorts, not a proselytizing mission necessarily, not a in-your-face kind of thing, but like what was he put there to do? And I think in his view, you know, helping the downtrodden, helping people who were, you know, disadvantaged was one way of expressing that faith. He himself, of course, had benefited from, you know, a late in life revelation, if you will, that helped him conquer his alcohol problems. Now, he would never admit that he was an alcoholic, but he certainly drank enough to be one, if that's, you know, depending on how the definition is. And yet, you know, in his 40s, really at age 40, he began this journey to conquer it. And I think that that's connected to PEPFAR. I think that if you talk to people who were advising him at the time, they saw in PEPFAR kind of a manifestation of this idea of helping the hopeless, helping the people who the rest of the world had dismissed as beyond saving. 
And I think that's the connection here. In a White House meeting at the end of 2002, the president decided to go ahead with a huge investment in pharmaceuticals and delivery systems. It was an example of faith in action. Rescued by his own account from a life of drink and drift by a religious awakening in midlife, Bush was offering the world what he believed he had been given, grace. As Michael Gerson recalled, I remember thinking in the aftermath of that meeting, from a historical perspective, that there had been other meetings around tables of government leaders in Moscow and Beijing and Berlin in the 20th century where plans had been made to murder millions of people. And I got to be in a meeting where the President of the United States made the decision to save millions of people. Africans began calling it the Lazarus Effect after the story of Jesus' raising a dead man from the grave. Ladies and gentlemen, seldom has history offered a greater opportunity to do so much for so many. We have confronted and will continue to confront HIV AIDS in our own country. And to meet a severe and urgent crisis abroad tonight, I propose the emergency plan for AIDS relief. A work of mercy beyond all current international efforts to help the people of Africa. This comprehensive plan will prevent 7 million new AIDS infections, treat at least 2 million people with life-extending drugs, and provide humane care for millions of people suffering from AIDS and for children orphaned by AIDS. I ask the Congress to commit $15 billion over the next five years, including nearly $10 billion in new money, to turn the tide against AIDS in the most afflicted nations of Africa and the Caribbean. PEPFAR began with a $15 billion investment. Results were reported, countries were accountable. And it's estimated that as many as 17 million people are alive today because of it. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Amy Poehler, here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
The President's uh, emergency plan for AIDS relief or PEPFAR is a United States governmental initiative to address the global HIV and AIDS epidemic and help save the lives of those suffering from the disease, primarily in Africa. The program has provided antiretroviral treatment or ART to nearly 8 million HIV infected people in resource limited settings and supported HIV testing and counseling for more than 56 million people. Inevitably, there were controversies around the program. Some critics disliked the relative emphasis on abstinence and the reliance on faith-based groups to deliver care. In a 2007 analysis of PEPFAR, the Carnegie Council for Ethics and International Affairs wrote, When the conservatives became interested in what previously had been a liberal issue, they took programmatic control. This left liberals in the awkward position of being on the outside of decisions, but unable to be too critical because President Bush was providing far more funding and attention to the AIDS issue than any previous president. What's the lesson? That America has the capacity to do great good when it finds the will and leadership to do it. That may sound boosterish or sentimental, but the evidence is there for all to see in the lives saved and in the lives now being led. In Bush's decision on PEPFAR, I'm reminded of John Paul II and the late pontiff's Gospel of Life. Defying the usual political divides, John Paul argued for a coherent and holistic vision of the world and of humankind's obligations within that world. The Pope opposed abortion and the death penalty. He pleaded for a kinder capitalism, urging aid for the poor. One can disagree with different elements of this worldview, but it has the virtue of consistency. If every life matters, then every life matters. President Bush was acting within a similar ethos with PEPFAR. I would just say that this is a part of Bush's legacy that doesn't get much attention and yet probably had as much impact as almost anything he did, right? Literally millions, you can say, millions of lives in Africa were altered as a result of this. I traveled with Bush to Africa in 2008. You would have thought he was Kennedy or FDR or what have you, crowds he was not getting at home. You know, by that point, Bush's numbers had plummeted with his own people who were not happy with the Iraq war, who were upset at the financial crisis, who thought Bush had mishandled Katrina. But overseas in Africa, where he had done so much, he was a rock star. He was a savior to a lot of people. I remember being on that trip, riding in that motorcade, watching these people greet him with such adulation and the contrast between the depths of his unpopularity at home and the mark that he had clearly made in this part of the world abroad was really striking. And I think that any history of the Bush presidency has to look at PEPFAR and its, and its broader impact as at least part of the legacy when his scorecard is added up. President Obama continued with PEPFAR. And when you look over the course since 2003, the results tell the story of one administration after another continuing with this policy such that I think over 20 million lives have been saved. Over 50 million have been provided with HIV testing. And the list goes on and on. This is Melody Barnes, who served as assistant to President Barack Obama and director of the White House Domestic Policy Council. 
if an administration had walked in the door and said, well, that was, you know, George W. Bush's policy, I'm not doing that, we wouldn't have had those benefits. And the same thing with regard to Barack Obama's policy, therefore, I'm not doing that. It is the consistency and an ability to fasten on a larger goal, a set of policy goals, and the desire to govern and to achieve something for the sake and for the benefit of whether it's citizens at home or an international community that has to cross partisan lines and what leads to the kinds of successes that are illuminated by a program like PEPFAR. We're closer than we've ever been to achieving the extraordinary, an AIDS-free generation. But we've got to keep fighting, all of us governments, businesses, foundations, community groups, and individuals like you. We've got to stay focused and committed. Science is on our side. Momentum is on our side. It's up to us to finish the job. The United States is committed to doing our part. Through PEPFAR, we're helping more than 7.7 million people worldwide receive life-saving treatment. We're proud of the work we're doing at home and abroad, and we're going to do more of it because we know that HIV AIDS affects all of us, no matter where we live or who we are. I think there are several lessons. The first one, and I've been saying this for a long time, is that the federal government matters. The federal government can and does work and that the federal government can change and save lives. I also think PEPFAR is a great example of an appreciation for cross-sector work that brings together the government and the nonprofit sector and philanthropy and the private sector, and also ensures that each sector understands who does what best, but with big challenges, it is important to work collectively. This achievement is one of the really outstanding and important and impressive humanitarian achievements in the last half century. And it goes almost unnoticed and almost unspoken about. And maybe that's in part because when things succeed, people look elsewhere. But I also wonder in our particular political culture, which is animated by so much enmity and so much acrimony, so much conflict, that the moral sensibilities of the nation, at least large parts of the nation have been shaped, that when you have something that has saved so many lives, and cared for so many people and promoted so much human flourishing and human dignity that people just don't pay attention to it. This is an example, particularly for conservatives, to understand that government, when it's accountable and when it's implemented intelligently, can do great good, great human good. President Bush often preached about the need for compassionate conservatism, but his critics saw more conservatism than they did compassion. With PEPFAR, however, he delivered. As he put it, we have a chance to achieve a more compassionate world for every citizen. America believes deeply that everybody has worth, everybody matters, everybody was created by the Almighty. And we're gonna act on that belief. Amid the demands of history, America offered hope and does still. Next, on Hope Through History, the Lusitania, a British ocean liner carrying 128 American passengers, is torpedoed and sunk by a German U-boat 
and isolationist sentiment in America is tested amid the Great War. Thank you for listening to Hope Through History, a documentary podcast presentation from C-13 Originals in association with the History Channel. Executive produced by me, John Meacham, and Chris Corcoran. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Edited, produced, mixed, and mastered by Chris Basil. Produced and production engineering and research support by Paige Heimson, Ian Mont, Bill Schultz, Bob Tabador, and Sean Sherry. Creative consultation by Eli Lehrer and Jesse Katz. Graphic design, marketing, and publicity by Brian Swarth, Hilary Schuff, Josephina Francis, and Kurt Courtney. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company. If you're enjoying Hope Through History and want to hear other compelling stories about how the past impacts us today, tune in to History This Week, an original podcast from the History Channel. Every Monday, History This Week turns back the clock to meet the people, visit the places, and witness the fascinating moments in time that have shaped our world today. With episodes spanning from ancient to modern history, exploring topics that you think you know, and some that weren't covered in textbooks, History This Week invites listeners on a journey to gain a new understanding of the momentous events that define us. History This Week is available wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet, and I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.